1: funding research and catalyzing conversations that inspire people with awe and wonder. Learn about the researchers making the latest discoveries in the science of well-being, complexity, forgiveness, and free will at templeton.org slash podcast.
2: Listener supported WNYC Studios. Wait, you're listening. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. <clears throat> You're listening, listening to
3: Radio Lab. Lab.
2: Radio Lab from WNYC. Feet? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. three feet.
3: Because
2: they yeah. were wondering when they were going to go to the moon. They wondered how much <laughs> dust would be on the surface of the moon, and they were worried. I, I once wrote letters back and forth to Neil Armstrong. So, so one of the things that he told me he said was like they really weren't at all sure how much dust there was on the moon and whether it was, you know, variable. So you'd be I'm here. Lulu. I'm Latif. This uh, is Radio Lab. Yeah, and you it would take your weight and then you'd walk three steps forward and you and you'd be up to your knees in it.
4: And this, of course, is none other than it's Crully, it's The crawl. Robert so I, really? I said to
2: him, like, so I don't know why you didn't walk around more. I mean, you like you you, you went to another celestial body, the first
1: yeah. producer Annie McEwen called him up a few weeks back to talk, not about the moon, actually. Uh, although with Robert, you'd never really know where your conversations are gonna go. Um, but uh, they talked instead about a new kind of world that was discovered right here in the forests of planet
2: Earth. Um okay, we're ready. <laughs> we at long last ready to begin. Okay. Um
3: Okay, so one of the first things I ever did when I got to Radiolab was work on a show of yours called Tree to Shining Tree.
2: I don't remember how long ago we did that. That was like three years ago or something? It was
3: 2016. Isn't that wild? I know. And for those of you who haven't heard the episode, you should go listen. It's amazing. But just a tiny recap here. It was all about the network that exists under the forest floor. This whole other world right beneath my feet. This network is this deeply complex, interwoven mat of tree roots and these mushroom threads, these fungi, connecting all of these trees together and helping them
2: share resources. About the forest that exists underneath the forest.
3: Here from that episode is ecologist Suzanne Samard.: What found was that the trees that were the biggest and the oldest were the most highly connected. And so we, you know, we've identified these as kind of like hubs in the network it's just this incredible communications network that you know people had no idea about in the past because we couldn't didn't know how to look anyway that episode is awesome we learn about all this magical stuff that is happening right beneath our feet in the forest yeah. um but for this episode i wanted to call you because i recently learned about this new layer to the story okay So, in tree to shining tree, we look down, under the ground. Right. Where do you think we should look now?
2: Well, I guess I'd be inclined, if there was more news, I'd do more down, Um,
3: I think. Mm, Well, how about, okay, how about instead of looking down, we peer into a type of down that is in the up? Oh, okay. Okay. And to take us there, Alrighty. forest royalty. I've read that you are known as the queen of the canopy. Is that yes, true? Is that separate. Where Actually, did that come from? <laughs> I have no idea where that came from. I've also been
0: called the mother of the forest canopy. Oh my and now goodness. that I'm 67 years old, I think it's
3: going to be sort of the dowager queen or or I think the you should grandmother be the empress. of forest
0: canopies.
3: <laughs> what about the empress? This is ecologist oh, okay. Nalini Nadkarni, who, like a lot of kids, spent a large part of her childhood... Up in trees. You know, you grab a branch, you put your
0: leg over it, and suddenly you're up in the treetops. And for me, it was like kind of my place. I had this sort of chaotic, large family. You know, I'd come home from school with chores and homework. But the treetops of these eight maple trees that lined my parents' driveway were kind of my refuge. She'd spend whole afternoons up there just sitting and wondering. I look at the leaves and I go like... Why does this branch have much yellower leaves than that branch, which has orange? leaves? Yes, that's a good leaves. question. And it's like, well, what is going on? Why? What is this, branch independence? Or, you know, I'd watch squirrels jumping from one tree to another and just think, God, you know, where do they go? And what if I attached a spool of thread to the back of one of them and I could trace where they go? So, wow. But it was a place for my <laughs> imagination to sort of run wild. Nalini grew up and followed that imagination to study ecology in grad school. This was back in like the early 1980s. And I was just starting out and I came to my graduate committee and I said, I know what I want to do with the rest of my career. (laughs) I want to study the forest canopy. And they said, well, that's kind of like Tarzan and Jane stuff, you know, with so many questions to ask and answer on the forest floor. Why do you have to go into the canopy? At that time,
3: canopies were just basically not studied. They were hard to get up into and there didn't seem to be a lot of point. The scientific thinking was there's just not a lot going on up there. But there was
0: something about the canopy that I kind of just had this intuition that it's not enough to just stand on the ground and look up.
3: And so, with some modified mountain climbing equipment, she began to climb these giant old-growth trees in the Olympic rainforests of western Washington. Which is what's called a temperate rainforest.
2: Are these the places where in the morning the fog from the Pacific Ocean comes rolling in? Yeah. And the tree just gets an every morning bath of just Yeah, and the tree just goes... Yeah.
3: So Nalini climbs up into the canopy of this
0: giant big leaf maple tree. And I throw my leg over a branch, and I'm sitting up there, and I'm anchored with my rope, and I'm looking around. I just see this enormous three-dimensional
3: panoply of moving leaves and moving twigs. The branch she's sitting on, as well as all the branches surrounding her, are covered in this super thick layer of
0: this amazing growth of mosses and lichens and ferns. Kind of like the tree is wearing this very unruly green shade carpet. You get the sense of being in a place that looks very simple from the forest floor, but mm-hmm. is actually this
3: kaleidoscope of life. Her job up there was to take samples of the moss that was growing on these branches. I had to cut off chunks of it. So using some clippers, she begins to cut down into that moss on the branch she's sitting on. And as I peeled back those mats of mosses... Beneath, instead of just bare branch... I saw that there was all this soil up there. This branch has a foot of soil piled up on it. Oh, wow. Soil that formed over many, many years of mosses and leaves dying and decomposing right there on the branch.
0: It's it's so weird because you're sitting up there in the canopy like 100 feet above the ground. And then you're digging your fingers into the soil that could be the soil that's, you know, in your
3: backyard garden, for the for goodness sake. You can imagine getting your gardening gloves out and planting rows of tulips 100 feet in the air. There were, like, invertebrates in it. There were
0: earthworms in it. Tree
3: worms? Yes. That is so weird. I know, I know. Even the stars of the old episode, the fungi, were there.
2: Really? So the mushrooms have climbed up the tree as well to sort of yes. do their thing? they're
3: sharing resources. They're helping the tiny plants up there communicate with one another. The same as on the forest floor. It's almost like she stumbled into a perfect miniature of the forest floor or she had just climbed up away from. And straddling a branch way up high in the air, she's like, huh, well, that's cool. This was in the 80s. And since then, there have been so many more. Well, that's cool because more and more scientists have been accessing this new world using cranes and ropes or building platforms. Or my favorite way up into a tree is this French guy, Francis Allais, who pioneered the use of the dirigible to access the canopy. Oh, wow. There's incredible pictures of So it's a balloon trip? It's a balloon that
5: floats
3: floats (laughs) over the tops of this green ocean just kissing the tops of the trees and the scientists can just gently lean and trim this and that. Anyway, so one way or another, all over the world, scientists began getting themselves up into trees and documenting what they saw there. And some of the coolest discoveries were found on the West Coast in the old growth redwood forests. And oh my gosh, these giants were found to be holding these pockets of soil up to three feet deep. And Growing in the soil were flowers, berry bushes, mosses, lichens. They found salamanders living hundreds of feet in the air who spend their entire lives never touching the ground.
2: I'm waiting, I'm waiting for you to say a small deer or something like that or something very <laughs> I mean,
3: weird. I mean, I, I don't have a small deer for you, but I do have something that I find totally bizarre, which is that up in Redwoods, scientists have found these tiny aquatic creatures An aquatic creature? It's aquatic, yeah. It's like this shrimp-like... They
2: found a fish?
3: (laughs) Pretty much. It's like this shrimp-like thing, a species of something called a copepod. Copepods, which is actually this whole subclass of creatures. They're the most abundant animal in the ocean and a huge part of the diet of baleen whales. (laughs) This thing is like swimming around in these mossy mats and no one knows how it got there. (laughs) Anyway, these tree canopies that up until the mid-80s, everyone thought were just pretty much empty. Not only are they not empty, they actually hold about 50% of all terrestrial life on the planet. Um, Did you say that 50%? 50%? 50, five, 0 Yeah.
2: Wow, that's a weird note. That, you're saying 50% of it is up in the air somewhere?
3: Yeah, up in the air, up in trees. Whoa. Which... You know, sounds kind of unbelievable, but when you think of places like the Amazon, all those bugs, birds, plants, animals, it adds up. And most of this life has made a home in these canopy soils.
5: What? Soil on the tree branches? I was and like, when ecologist Karina Mafune learned about these canopy soils. I, I, fell, I fell in love. I was like, okay, there's like a forest in a forest on a forest. I need to research this. And she told me that thinking about these canopy
3: soils like these tiny, perfect replicas of the forest floor below wasn't quite right, because these canopy soils, they have something that the forest wants.
2: Huh. Well, what would that be?
3: Well, back when she was a grad student in the Washington Olympic Peninsula, Karina collected soil samples from the
5: forest floor throughout the year. And she noticed that in the spring growing season, there aren't as many nutrients available.
3: Specifically, there was a lack of phosphorus and nitrogen. Two important things that every plant in the springtime wants to help them, you know, put forth new leaves, to help them grow.
2: And those are rare. Plants love that. Right. Yeah.
3: And and in contrast to the last episode where we talked about trees cooperating with each other. All
2: these trees, all these trees that were of totally different species were sharing their food underground, like if you put...
5: Karina told me that in that same sharing forest, when resources are scarce... There's a ton of competition on the forest for trees have roots grafted together, there's mycorrhizal networks, you know, that are spanning across. There's this big battle to, you know, uptake nutrients. But Karina had also taken samples of the canopy soils,
3: and she saw that during these times of scarcity below,
5: These canopy soils had so much more nitrogen and phosphorus available for plant uptake compared to their forest floor counterparts.
3: Meaning that this soil for a plant was creme de la creme.
5: It's just amazing.
3: Downstairs, there's shortage. Upstairs, there's abundance. When it's crumbs down below, up in the sky, held aloft above the plebeian masses, is like a Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs) (laughs)
5: <laughs> and when Karina learned this, she thought, I don't know. What do these canopy soils mean? Because they're not just hanging out there. They're not just there for no reason, right? She's right. They're not. These
3: sky gardens, they get even better.
2: Better at what? Hmm? Better at what?
3: Well, let's just say they're not alone up there. Well,
2: what, what's, ha- what's about to happen?
3: Well, I'm going to tell you. All righty. Right after this short break.
1: Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed, cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank.
0: WNYC Studios is supported by Zuckerman Spader. Through nearly five decades of taking on high-stakes legal matters, Zuckerman Spader is recognized nationally as a premier litigation and investigations firm. Their lawyers routinely represent individuals, organizations and law firms in business disputes, government and internal investigations and at trial. When the lawyer you choose matters most,
4: online at zuckerman.com. Radio Lab is supported by TurboTax. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, filing with 100% accuracy and getting your max refund guaranteed. So whether you started a podcast, side-hustled your way to concert tickets, or sold Hollywood memorabilia, switch to TurboTax and make your moves count. See guaranteed details at TurboTax.com slash guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live.
2: Everybody's got a story about a piece of music. I thought this is the greatest
4: thing I've ever heard.
0: It's about pure experience, pure connection,
2: pure joy. This song allowed me to survive. I'm Terrence McKnight with a new season of the Open Ears Project. Every Monday in under 20 minutes, you'll hear a different guest share their story. So you can start your week on the right note. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
4: Lulu, Radio Lab. back to Annie and Robert, where we were just about to learn the true superpower of those gardens in the sky. Right. So to understand this wizardry, we need to go back
3: to Nalini. Fine with me. And this amazing discovery that she made. Okay. So I remember sitting on this tree. She's back up in a tree in the Washington rainforest, digging around in this canopy soil. And
0: I began seeing these root systems that were running up and down the branches of these trees. They didn't look like they belonged to moss or ferns or any other plant you could see up there. And there were fine roots all the way up to, some of them were the diameter of my wrist. I mean, these were gigantic oh, roots. What? You know, I Thought well, that's weird. What are these roots doing here? Huh. So I began just tracing the roots that I was finding,
3: like you—you—you f- you, you took hold of one root in your hand and yeah. sort of like went exactly. backwards, like a string. Right. exactly, like it's like
0: following a string, exactly. She gently excavates this root, scooting along the branch as she uncovers it. I was tied in so I could sort of swing around and move from one branch to another. I had my water bottle with me, so then whenever it was began difficult to sort of unstick the root, I could just throw a little water on it, keep going, keep following it. It was like, I don't know, it was like, being a detective. Well, what did you think it was going to lead to? I, I had no idea. I thought, well, maybe there's some sort of vascular plant that I'm not aware of that's here, but I don't think so. <sighs> so then she follows the root all the way back to its beginning. And, oh my gosh, its origin was a dead end in the tree itself. What? The big tree, the one Nalini is sitting in, is growing roots from its branch and snaking underneath these mats of, of soil, of canopy soil.
2: Let me think about this. Somehow it realizes that it could find soil high up somewhere, like, and, and, and so it just takes its roots and its roots travel up and go whoop to the left and say, let's root not only where we normally root down there, but let's root up here. Yes. Whoa. So things that you thought were below can move above, way above, high above you.
0: Yes. It was a real revelation.
3: And Karina thinks that it's during a drought or during spring growing season when resources on the forest floor are
5: scarce that these big trees... That's when they can tap into their canopy soils. It's like they're like, hey, there's a bunch of really great stuff here to suck on. So
0: why don't you put out a root out here? And that's exactly what these trees do.
5: I kind of always compare it to like a secret cabinet that has all the good snacks in it. It's like if you were teaching a preschool, it's like while all of the school children are fighting over the snacks and fighting over these resources, you just go into your, you know, canopy soil closet and you got your good snacks up there.
2: Because we're looking for those special minerals like the phosphorus and stuff, and that's where we can find it.
5: Right. And it's finding
3: it in its hat.
2: Yeah, finding it in its hat. (laughs) (laughs) That's a nice way of putting it, yes. Yeah. (laughs) That's a lovely way of putting it, yes. The expression, I'm going to eat my hat, has now got a whole new (laughs) meaning. (laughs) Oh,
4: yes, Robert! I love that.
3: (laughs) (laughs) One
5: thing that both Karina and Nalini told me is that This is a new field. There is just so many things to be found high above the forest floor. Like,
3: for instance, Karina told me sometimes there are actual trees growing up there.
5: And I've seen like a five-foot spruce growing out of a nook of canopy soil. Wow. And you'll see a lot of like baby (laughs) maples growing up in the old maple. So it's like, you know, like a little nursery. Wait a second.
2: You mean there's a tree growing on the tree? That's right. On the branch?
5: In the
3: soil on the branch.
2: Oh.
3: And who knows? Maybe as more people study the canopy, we'll find little trees on those trees. And maybe there will be little trees on those trees on those trees.
2: Yeah, it's fractal, like littler plants off the ground, and then mm-hmm. on them is the moss, which is little plants on top of little plants. So there's <laughs> like there's little layers and layers and layers of life, and the more you go up, the more the layers you will find. That's, that's sort of cool.
4: Thank you, Annie McEwen, for reporting and producing that gorgeous episode and leaving us with that image of not turtles all the way down, but trees all the way up.
1: This episode was reported and produced by Annie McEwen. Special thanks to Kiyomi Taguchi, Michelle Ma, and Nina Ernest. A huge thank you to Michael Werner and Joe Hansen and the team at PBS Overview. They tipped us off about Karina's research. They were the ones who got us excited about canopy soil in the first place. You can actually see all that gorgeous shag carpeting in the forest in their beautiful video, vivid color. uh, The video features Karina and other people who have dedicated their lives to saving what's left of the old growth forest. Uh, You can check that out on our website uh, or on theirs. So thank you to them. And special thanks, of course, to the many ringed tree trunk that is Robert Kralwich coming back on the show to talk trees with us. Thank you for doing that, Robert. We love you. That guy's all bark, no bite. You know what I mean? That's why I like him.
4: All right, Latif, before we go, 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 for real, real, real. Great. Um For folks who maybe enjoyed this story of a mystery tree, mm-hmm. I thought they might also enjoy to know that there is a new series coming out about a mystery meat. <laughs> the mystery meat. Spam. So I just want to take a quick moment here to let you know that our friends over at The Experiment have just dropped a three-part series on Spam. Oh,
1: it's the thing I've been craving without even knowing that I was craving.
4: (laughs) I wasn't. I actually had quite an aversion initially when they told me they were working on this. Uh, not a spam fan over here, but I am a, a fan of what the the experiment people are up to. So it turns out the reporter and producer Gabrielle Burbet went on this journey to kind of uncover why her grandpa, who grew up in the Philippines, had such an attachment to spam. She thought it'd be a cute little one-off episode. And at the beginning she she ends up taking this kind of wondrous Willy Wonka tour through the Spam Museum, which is down the road from the Spam Factory. And she ends up encountering all these institutionalized Spam puns, which I think you'll really enjoy. Wow. And just to give you a preview, just play you a quick bit of that. I'm the Spam Manager. Savile Lord, okay. the Spam Manager. Oh, okay, okay. So everything was Spam, we make we have fun with. We have spam ambassadors who um, help us here at the museum. We have about 20 of them. And then I'm the spam manager. Uh, And then we um, really encourage people when they leave the museum to have a spam-tastic day. Um, We we serve spamples, which are just a little piece of spam on it with a pretzel. But the more and more she got into her reporting, this thing kept coming up about a strike. Hmm. A strike at the spam factory that kind of changed not just the course of this town, but sort of the labor movement in America. And the more she tried to get people to talk about it, no one would talk. So when I say people don't talk about the strike, I mean, like, to this day, they don't talk about the strike. You
1: better believe people don't want to talk about it. There are still people who are not speaking to
2: each other.
3: It was like the elephant in the room. Nobody really talked about it.
2: We don't talk about these things. We don't talk about things that are difficult or cause pain.
4: The strike tore this town apart. I knew two brothers who were just fighting and for many years
0: did not talk to one another because to cross that picket line was the worst.
3: Families and friendships were torn apart. They were not speaking and did not speak for years. Parents
4: against children, children against parents, This is a dark stain on the town.
1: That was horrible. You can feel the trauma of this strike. It didn't destroy Austin, but it did change it forever. It is part of the creation myth of that town.
3: You know, if there's a defining moment for the town, it's this.
1: Everybody's got something ugly in their past that defines them, whether we want it to or not. And there are a lot of things you can say about Batman, but at some point you're gonna have to talk about the Joker. And I don't think you can talk about Austin without talking about the Joker, which is this strike.
4: And anyway, it is a surprisingly beautiful and weirdly relevant series. So we just wanted to give folks a little preview and let them know to go check it out on the experiment. It's called Spam, How the American Dream Got Canned.
1: Got canned? Okay, let's, (laughs) yeah. I, for one, am excited to unroll the tin. (laughs) Uh, and see what's in there. Okay, great. Okay. Go check it out. You can
4: find it on The Experiment wherever you get podcasts. Spam, how the American dream got canned.
5: Radio Lab was created by Jada Boomrod and is edited by
3: Soren Wheeler. Lulu Miller and Latif Nasser are our co-hosts. Susie Lechtenberg is our executive producer. Dylan Keefe is our director of sound design. Our staff includes Simon Adler, Jeremy Bloom, Becca Bressler, Rachel Cusick, W. Harry Fortuna, David Gable, Maria Paz Gutierrez, Sindu sambindam Matt Kilty, Annie McEwan, Alex Neeson, Sara Kari, Ariane Wack, Pat Walters, and Molly Webster. With help from Carolyn McCusker and Sarah Sonbach. Our fact-checkers are Diane Kelly, Emily Krieger, and Adam Schipel.
5: This is Amanda Darby calling from Rockville, Maryland. Radiolab is supported in part by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science and technology in the modern world. More information about Sloan at www.sloan.org.
1: Science reporting on Radio Lab is supported in part by Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science.